I was trying to find there <laughs> and did not know where there was. So there was someone that was walking looking for me there and I told him that I didn't know where there was but that I wanted to be there with all my heart. And so he led me there. And so I'm happy to be here. Amen. How many of you know why you're here? What what are you Amen, amen. What am I talking about? Okay, I just wanted to make sure there were this many people here for that thing. Okay. All right. Good, good, good. So that means you must have an interest in this subject. Amen. Very good, very good. I want to share with you uh, just a little bit of why I am uh, doing this particular study uh, this evening. How many of you have heard of Operation Global Rain? Okay, excellent, excellent, excellent. As you all know, I don't need to go into the whole history of how it started. Um, but nonetheless, just listening to um, uh, Peter Gregory's message. Early, how many of you were in Peter Gregory's uh, workshop this? Yeah, you know, as he was speaking, I was just thinking about this generation, you know. Um, that God is raising up a movement of young people. Um, and not only young people, you know, older people as well that are really wanting to, to see and to do whatever they need to do to see the Lord return. And I thought, you know, Operation Global Rain in this context to me, it, it just like, you know, wow. You know, this, this is the time. If not now, when? You know, what else do we need to wait for? And it was interesting because um, I began to, to have some concerns or rather uh, some people raised some concerns to me that, um, you know, maybe Operation Global Rain is out of order. Um, you know, certain things needed to take place before we could expect the latter rain to be poured out. And the certain thing in particular was the Sunday law. And so, uh, you know, needless to say, a lot of research went into what was going on. And I, and I you know, basically the question was, are we setting the Seventh-day Adventist church up for a uh, fall um, if we are moving outside of the order of events? Does that make sense? Yes. And uh, let me say this as well. You know, one of the problems that, the seven, that we as Seventh-day Adventists have is that once we disagree with someone, <laughs> whew, you know, they are, they are from the pits of hell. And what I want to say uh, today before I even begin the message is this. You know, just, just, uh, I don't want to do that either. I'm sure that there may be people in here on both sides of the question. What do you think? I think there may be. But the most crucial thing is that whether we agree or disagree, we must love each other. Amen? Amen. And one of the things that amazes me about the early church, the Adventist church, is that the pioneers got together and, and there were a lot of times that their ideas didn't agree with one another, but they would love each other so much that they were willing to study hours on end to finally come to a conclusion. And I'm not saying that we're going to be able to accomplish that here tonight, 
But what I am saying is that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I had one particular uh, uh, ministry right against me in particular and, you know, was just totally, you know, Pastor Mars, false prophet. Uh, Operation Global Reign is the counterfeit revival that is to take place before the actual revival. You know, I mean, things that... And, and the most amazing thing to me was that this came from... from This came from the conservative element. And, and I was totally dumbfounded. You know, it just, it just amazed me. Sorry. That's all right. Okay, this is much better. So, to set the foundation for our study uh, this evening... We're going to be reading a lot of Spirit of Prophecy quotes. We're going to be looking at a lot of Bible. And I don't know if we're going to get through this because I, I do have to end by 7.30 uh, because I'll be speaking over in the other, uh, over there <laughs> at 7.45. So I will see you there. there. All right. Amen. Amen. To, to set this off, I want to, you know, I had written a paper. I want to just take a little portion of something that I wrote because I think it's stated so perfectly that I don't want to, you know, say it in, in any different way. So let me just read it to you. Bear with me for a moment. We have a couple questions we need to ask concerning this issue of Sunday laws and the latter rain. Here it is. First, must we wait on Satan to bring about the Sunday law before we take the field to pray? For the latter rain. That's number one. Are we waiting for God to give Satan permission to pass the Sunday law so that he can then pour out the latter rain and seal Satan's fate? In other words, are we waiting for God? You know, why hasn't the Sunday law taken place yet? Are we waiting on Satan? Is God, are we waiting on God to give Satan permission to pass the Sunday law? If God has given Satan permission, why is Satan stalling in the Sunday law issue? You ever thought about that? If God has said, Satan, go ahead, it's up to you to pass the Sunday law, why is Satan stalling? And if God has, has not given permission, why is God delaying this? If he knows that this will spring his people into action to pray for the latter rain. You following? If the Sunday law is a thing that finally wakes up God's church so that we will pray for the latter rain and plead for it. Why is God delaying the passing of a Sunday law? If the Sunday law is the way that Satan believes he can ultimately destroy the people of God, why wouldn't he cause it to happen before God could pour out his spirit to empower his people to warn the world? Okay, did you follow that? Let me read it again. If the Sunday law is the way Satan believes he can ultimately destroy the people of God, why wouldn't he cause it to happen before God could pour out his spirit to empower his people to warn the world? Okay? In other words, why wouldn't Satan have done or have passed the Sunday law within the last 163 years? Is God stalling? Is Satan stalling? Or are we stalling? So there, there's my little paragraph I wanted to lay out to you. Somebody's stalling, and the question is, we got to figure out, is it God? 
Is it Satan or is it us? <laughs> Some of you are throwing your answers out there already. Well, let me, let me, let me begin to set a couple of things, you know, so we can have a, a right understanding, a correct understanding of the latter rain. Now, the, argue, the argument is, does the Sunday law fall before, I'm sorry, does the latter rain fall before the Sunday law or after the Sunday law? And I think that question is a faulty, it gives a faulty premise to begin with. And here's why. The early rain, the latter rain, is simply a greater portion of the what? Early rain. Now, now here's something you may not have thought about before, but the early rain is not a one-time event. The early rain was a season. It wasn't a day. You see, in Acts chapter 2, we often look at Acts chapter 2 and we say, there, that was the fulfillment of the early rain. However, and if you have pen and paper, you can write these down. In Acts chapter 4, there is another outpouring. Do you remember when, when the disciples prayed because they were being persecuted and they prayed, Lord, uh, uh, grant us boldness to what? To preach your word. And then the Bible says the spirit fell and the place was shaken. What was that? What was that outpouring? It was a part of the early rain. The early rain is a season. It is not a day. So if we were to go on and look in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, we would find more pouring of the rain, the, the, the early rain upon the people of God. If we look at Acts chapter eight, uh, 9 and verse 17, Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 47, Acts chapter 11, verse 15, Acts chapter 13, verse 52, Acts 19, verses 1 through 7, all of these times are when the Holy Spirit fell in, in different places upon different people and it was equated with the early rain. In fact, how many of you remember when Peter realized that God had blessed the Gentiles, remember when he went to Cornelius' house and he saw them, uh, 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 he, the Spirit of God fell on them. You know what Peter said? God has given them the Spirit as he gave us at the beginning. So he identifies the falling of the Spirit in Acts, I believe it's chapter 10 and 11, with the, with the Spirit, the same event that happened in Acts chapter 2. The latter rain or the early rain is a season, it is not a day. Therefore, the latter rain is also a what? Season, not a day. Now, let's read a couple of verses. Gospel Workers, page 383. John says, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. Then... As at the Pentecostal season, the people will hear the truth spoken to them, every man in his own tongue. What did she call it? What did she call Pentecost? She said the Pentecostal what? Season. It is a season, both according to the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. So what that does is it eliminates the question of does the latter rain fall before or after because we're looking, we can expect the latter rain to fall more than what? Once. Now how do we know that? Listen, everyone who is saved in the last days must receive the what? The latter rain. Will there be, who is the latter rain poured out upon first? God's people. 
They are empowered then to go out and preach to the world. And what do you think will happen to those people who are coming into the Adventist faith after the Spirit of God has been poured out upon His people? Are they going to receive the latter rain as well? Yes. So the latter rain is not a one-time event. It is a, what everyone? Season. It's a season. Which lets us realize that it is possible, just listen to this, I'm not saying it's true yet, I'm just saying it is possible for the latter rain to fall both before and after the Sunday law. That make sense? In other words, it's not a matter of who's right and who's wrong. Does the latter rain fall before or does it fall after? Maybe there's not an or, maybe there's an and. You know those words, and. Maybe I should do a whole series on the word and. I won't do that. That's only Elder Pippum could do something like that. So I I will not try. Okay, I'm going to share with you now some some reasons why I believe that the latter rain is not dependent upon a Sunday law. And let me tell you why this is so important. Because I believe that for a long time, many of us have subconsciously been waiting for a Sunday law, and therefore, generation after generation has passed. We are hunkered down, waiting for end time events that we think are supposed to transpire, that set us into action, and those, by the way, How many of you remember the parable of the ten virgins? You want to know, hear something interesting about that parable? Five were wise. Five were what? Foolish. Uh, Did all ten of them have oil? Yes. What does oil represent? The Holy Spirit. So all of them had an early (laughs) rain experience. All of them were in a degree filled with the Spirit of God, but five of them waited for a crisis to hit before they sought the final filling of the Spirit. Wow. Wow. Now remember, the ten virgins don't represent the lukewarm. These represent the cream of the crop Adventists. And so it was amazing to me as I saw people saying, what are you doing? We can't pray for the latter rain now. The Sunday law hasn't passed yet. It it was as though they were saying to me, you know what? Don't ask for the oil now. The crisis hasn't hit. Wait for the crisis to hit and then we need to ask for the oil. But then, beloved, it's too late. So let's look at a couple of reasons now. Though I haven't given you some already. Number one. In 1888, we were told that a most precious message came to the church through elders Jones and Wagner. Listen to what Ellen White says about this message. First selected messages, page 234. An unwillingness to yield up preconceived opinions and to accept this truth lay at the foundation of a large share of the opposition manifested at Minneapolis against the Lord's messengers through Brethren E.J. Wagner and A.T. Jones. By exciting that opposition, Satan succeeded in shutting away from our people in a great measure the special power of the Holy Spirit that God longed to impart to them. 
the enemy prevented them from obtaining the efficiency that might have been theirs in carrying the truth to the world as the apostles proclaimed it after the day of Pentecost. That light that is to lighten the whole earth with its glory was resisted and by the action of our own brethren has been in a great degree kept away from the world. Did you hear that? In 1888, a message was given to this church and we are told that to a great degree, that message was resisted and she compares that message to the light that was to lighten the earth with its glory, which is a clear reference to Revelation chapter 18. Now question, was a Sunday law passed in 1888? Where was a Sunday, where was a Sunday law uh, passed in 1888? A national Sunday law. Or a global Sunday law. There was none. Incidentally, in December of 1888, there was that famous issue of the, of the uh, Chicago World Fair. Where the Sunday law came into prominence and A.T. Jones actually went to court to fight against that Sunday law. And beloved, it is, it is largely believed that because the Adventist church had rejected that 1888 message, the Sunday law, which would have come right upon its heels, never crystallized. No Sunday law, when the message was given in Minneapolis, Ellen White declares that message to be the light that was to lighten the earth with its glory. So that's evidence number one that says to me, wait a minute, you know, if we were back in Ellen White's time, would we have said, Ellen White, you're wrong? No Sunday laws. How could you say that that's the, the latter rain? No Sunday law has passed yet. Does that make sense? Listen to what she says. Review and Herald, March 2, 1897. Now, or let, let, let me rephrase that. Let us with contrite hearts pray most earnestly that now, say that word with me, now, now in the time of the latter rain, the showers of grace may fall upon us. When is the time of the latter rain? Now, now she wrote this in 1897, Review and Herald, March 2, 1897. In 1897, we were alive in 1897, we could say what? Now is the time of the latter rain. Was that same now then? Wait, wait, I didn't finish my question. Was that same now then? Back in 1897, was that same now the time of the Sunday law? What Sunday, what nas any national Sunday law on the scene when she wrote this in 1897? Almost, but no Sunday law had been what? Passed. So she said this before Sunday law has been passed. She says now is the time of the latter rain. Now, if I said now is the time of the latter rain, but now is not the time of the Sunday law, it would be evident to me that the latter rain must occur before Sunday a Sunday law. Let's go to Daniel chapter 11 to look at reason number two. Daniel chapter 11. We're going to go to verses 40 and 40 through 45. Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 through 45. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to get very deep into this, but we'll just skip through some things and read very quickly. Daniel 11, verse 40. The Bible says there, And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. What is this talking about? At the time of the end. When was the time of the end, everyone? 
1798. Okay, the end of the 1260 years, that's when the time of the end began. We are now living, everyone, in the time of the end. And uh, we're not going to go through all the details. Suffice it to say that the king of the north, north represents who? The papacy. This is the final power in Daniel 11, 40 through, all the way through 45. The king of the north represents the papacy. So I want you to notice what the papacy does. Verse 41, he shall enter into the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand. Even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Verse 43, but he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his step. Verses 41 through 43 simply describe the, the, the papacy regaining the dominion it once held during the dark ages. Do we see that happening now? Yeah, yeah we see it happening now. But I want you to notice verse 44. Incredible verse. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Shall trouble who? The papacy. Therefore, because of these, what? Tidings that come out of the north and out of the east, because of these tidings, he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly make away with many. Now let's break that down a little bit. When you think of tidings in the Bible, what do you think of? News. What kind of news do you think is going to trouble the papacy? News in a newspaper? What kind of news? <laughs> You're giving good answers. But the correct answer is the gospel news. Amen? But, but you say, uh, that's just the gospel. Listen. It, 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 is, it is the gospel news empowered by the latter rain. It is the loud cry. In fact, if you read Revelation chapter 7, the Bible says that an angel there is seen coming from the where? From the east, having the seal of God. You read Revelation chapter 18, you see another angel that is descending from heaven or descending from what we might say the what? The north. It is the combination of this angel of Revelation 18 that we identify as the loud cry or the latter rain that adds power to the three angels' messages that troubles the papacy. Amen. In other words, beloved, the papacy doesn't even know who, barely knows who we are right now. We're not doing anything to trouble the papacy. We're going about our business. We're living life as usual. We're, we're waiting for the next generation to hand the baton off to them. <laughs> we're, 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 they will finish the work. We want to give them the legacy. It sounds good, beloved, but the longer we do that is the longer we remain here. And so what happens, beloved, is when God's people realize, wait a minute, we are the ones that God is waiting on. We are the ones that are stalling. When we begin to pray and plead for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that thing happens, all of a sudden, the papacy is going to get infuriated. And let me tell you why. Why do you think the papacy will become infuriate, infuriated? 
losing their flock. You see, beloved, as God's people around the world are praying and pleading for the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit falls in a worldwide manner, they're going to go out and begin to preach with power. And what's going to happen is that many people are going to be coming out of Babylon. And all over the world, it's going to be, hey, what's going on? What? And that's when Seventh-day Adventists will be front and center stage. But before then, who's even looking at you? You know, all those Adventists. We're like a fly on the wall. We're vegetarian, though. <laughs> So look at what it says here. Verse 44. Tidings out of the east, not of the north. Oh, by the way. (laughs) William Miller. Where did he begin to preach? The east. Oh, you're not catching it. (laughs) The east. In Maine. So there you got the east, and then if you were to draw in a, in a quadrant, you know, uh, uh, and divide the United States of America, here's the next question. In 1888, where was the message, where did the message of righteousness by faith come from? What's, what, what city? What place? Minneapolis. Do you realize that Minneapolis is in the northeastern quadrant of the United States of America? Ah! <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. Tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. But remember, in 1888, what happened is that the message, instead of troubling the papacy, it troubled many Seventh-day Adventists. And so it never got to where it was supposed to go because it troubled us. It wasn't meant to trouble us, beloved. It wasn't meant to trouble us. So, Verse 44, therefore, because of this, he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly make away with many. Now notice verse 45. What is he going to do? How is he going to attempt to do this? He shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. What does it mean he's going to plant his tabernacles in the glorious seas between the holy mountains? It's another reference. If you uh, remember when Jesus said, when you shall therefore see the what? abomination of desolation stand in the holy place. It's a reference to the passing of the, what everyone, the Sunday law. That's what it means he's going to set up his tabernacles in the midst of the seas. Why does he set up his tabernacles in the midst of the seas? It is because he is infuriated at a group of people. You didn't catch that. He is infuriated at a group of people who are preaching a message with power. See, we've been preaching the three angels' messages. Amen? Amen. But that angel from the north has not yet descended to add power. So for 163 years we've been preaching and we're a fly on the wall. When that angel descends to add power, that 
is what will set off the time of trouble. Mm-hmm. You look at the story of um, uh, Daniel. In fact, let me let me hold that thought for a minute. Okay, let's look at a couple of things here, and and we're gonna look. Oh. 12.1, notice 12.1. And at that time shall Michael stand up. At what time will Michael stand up? At that time. <laughs> what is that time? <laughs> at what time? When the Sunday, when the death decree, that's what the, he shall go forth with fury to destroy many. He's going to pass a death decree. But at the same time that he passes a death decree, Jesus stands up, which also signifies a death decree for those who are against him. So at that time, Michael's going to stand up. Okay, now, notice the pattern. Power to the message, or power with the message, or the message goes forth with power. It brings about anger and therefore persecution through a Sunday law, and then Michael stands up. Now, I want you to re- listen as I read. And I just want you to listen to how Ellen White continuously uses the very same pattern in her writings. Faith I Live by, page 330. The power attending the message will only madden those who oppose it. Is that Daniel 11:44? Yeah. The church appeals to the strong arm of civil power, and in this work, papists and Protestants unite. As the movement for Sunday enforcement becomes more bold and decided, the laws will be invoked against commandment keepers. So, power attends the message, it enrages the other churches, and they persecute the people of God by passing a Sunday law. Here's another one. I heard those clothed with the armor speak forth the truth with great power. It had effect. I asked what made this great change. An angel said, it is the latter rain, the refreshing from the presence of the Lord, the loud cry of the third angel. Okay, so what has happened so far in what Ellen White just said? Latter rain. Excellent. (laughs) Thank you, man. (laughs) You were quick on that. Great power was with these chosen ones. Said the angel, look ye. Now, when does this angel say, look ye? After she sees that the people of God have received the what? Latter rain. Now, said the angel, look ye. My attention was turned to the wicked or unbelievers. Now, according to Daniel 11, 44 and 45, what can we expect that she would say next about the wicked? They were all astir. The zeal and power with the people of God had aroused and enraged them. Christian Experience and Teachings, page 177, 178. Confusion, confusion was on every side. I saw measures taken against the company who had the light and the power of God. What do you think those measures are? Sunday law, death decree. And not that the two are one. I know they happen in stages, but the Sunday law ultimately leading to the death decree. And then notice what she says. Soon I heard the voice of God which shook the heavens and the earth. That's Michael standing up. 
Let me read another one. In fact, I'm not going to read another one. For sake of time, I'm just going to go on ahead and we're going to go to our next thing. We're going to look at the principle of type and anti-type. You know the principle of type and anti-type, right? So let me just break some of these down to you very quickly. We can look at the story of Daniel and see a powerful type of how things work. In Daniel 1, do we find 10 days? How interesting. 10 days of prayer, 10 days of fasting, because you know the story, they don't want to eat the king's what? The king's meat, and so they pray for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they are given special privileges by God. Isn't that so? They appeared fairer and wiser and all those things at the end of 10 days, and God blesses them with a special blessing, so that in Daniel chapter 2, we have Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, having a dream. Daniel and his friends have power to understand dreams and visions. Ah, uh, you're not following. <laughs> Ten days, followed by power to understand dreams and visions, and then they go to Babylon and preach a message to Babylon. King, head of gold, Chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. They preach the truth. In Daniel 3, you have the setting up of an image. Why is the image set up? Let me ask you this, this way. In what way would the image never have been set up? If he never had the dream. Let me rephrase it again. The image is set up as a result in direct rebellion to what Daniel said the word of God declares his dream to be. The image was not set up, hmm, you know, I'm bored today. Why don't I set up an image and just tell people if they don't bow down to it, I'm going to kill them. That's a good pastime. No, no, no. That's not how it happened. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, set up that, that, that image as a, as a direct rebellion against what the word of God clearly stated. And then he said, if you don't bow down to this image, you will be killed. In the very same way, beloved, when God's people are empowered with the Holy Spirit and they go forth preaching the Sabbath more fully to Babylon, as a result, Babylon will set up a Sunday law. And they will say, if you don't bow down to this... Now, let me ask you something. Why are they setting up a Sunday law? See, humanity is thinking we're setting up a Sunday law because of these reasons. But the devil understands that with the people of God, the time is coming where just like Daniel, they will not be able to find, how can I trip them up? I know, here's what I'll do, I'll pass a law. You remember Daniel 6? Where they said, if any man prays to any God for the next 30 days, he's going to be thrown into the lion's den. It's the same principle. What can we do against the commandment keepers who are preaching with such power? Let's set up a Sunday law. Let's see how they do in the face of that. You see, beloved, the Sunday law is a direct attack upon Seventh-day Adventists. 
It's not just a byproduct. The quote I read earlier, she says, they are enraged and the, and the, and the, the, uh, the Sunday law is invoked against commandment keepers. You remember when I read that just now? Invoked against commandment keepers. Let's look at another type. In the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, before Acts chapter 2, the, 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 the disciples are hiding out. Why are they hiding? Fear. Why are they afraid? They think the people are going to come and what? Come and kill them. Is anybody looking for them? <laughs> Nobody's looking for them. Why? Because they have no power. They were only after the one that had power. That was Jesus. When they got rid of him, it's like, okay, the disciples, and much like Seventh-day Adventists today, they're coming for us. <laughs> Who's they? They. <laughs> Think with me. They. You know what I'm saying. And, and, and nobody's even looking at us. We're flying the wall. The disciples get together to pray based upon, after they see Jesus, they get together and pray based upon a promise, not upon fear. Did you get that? It was not a crisis that catapulted them into their 10 days of prayer. It was the promise that Jesus had given them. They had new hope. And now they said, according to the promise, we're going to go and pray. Now, when they pray, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And what do they begin to do? They go out to what? To preach. They begin to preach with power and multitudes come into them. All of a sudden, they have now captured the attention of their Jewish brethren. And guess what begins? Persecution. What are we waiting for? Many of us are waiting for a Sunday law when God is waiting on us. Ellen White tells us the reason why the church is not suffering persecution is because we're not living like the early church did. And then she says, let there be a revival. Let there be a revival of primitive godliness and the fires of persecution will be sure to be rekindled. That says to me that it is not until we give the enemy, something to fear that they will make their move. So as long as we stall, they're happy. Hey, they're stalling. The devil says, why do we want to rush things? The more souls we can have go into, into perdition forever and ever, the more souls we can say, hey, that's, that's fine. We want to continue on. We don't want to bring this thing to an end. They're only, the only way they're going to attempt to bring this thing to an end is when we force their hand. We're not forcing their hand. We're just like, well, he's not moving. I'm not moving. Well, you know, we're just sitting there staring at each other. <laughs> oh, man. What's interesting, beloved, is that after the persecution arises in the early church, it's, you know, years later, but nonetheless, it's only then that you have the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. When was that? 70 AD, when Rome, remember? Rome came in. Abomination of desolation took place after persecution began and took place after the early rain was poured out in the very same way God's people 
must come together and pray. Nobody's looking at them right now. We're a fly on the screen. But when we pray and humble ourselves, God will answer us by pouring out His Spirit globally. Because I believe that God's people will be praying globally. See, this end time conflict is a global conflict. And, and whereas in the early reign, God moved locally in one place because all the disciples were there. Now he's got a church full of people all around the globe. And he's saying, though you cannot be in one place, you can be, you can be there. <laughs> you can be there at the same time around the globe and you can pray together there. <laughs> and I will pour the Spirit out there. Ooh, I like this. I may, I may take it. Yeah. Uh, there. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, so, and so when God's people receive the Spirit, then they go out there, there and begin to preach the gospel with power. <laughs> and there will be people coming out of Babylon by the droves. And this will arouse the anger of Babylon. And beloved, let me tell you, we're not going forth with a message saying Babylon is fallen. Listen, hey, listen. I'm going to address that in my next message, okay? The initial message is not Babylon has fallen. In fact, I'm going to address it now. How much time do I have? Ten minutes. That's absolutely crazy. <laughs> Six minutes. I have six pages that I haven't even looked at yet. Yeah. Man, I just, I, there's nothing else I can do in six minutes. So, um, you know. That's what I'll do. I mean, after I preach. <laughs> where, where, is, where is Mike? Oh, there you are. Mike, can we do something at like 6 o'clock in the morning? No, 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 no. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> okay, um, okay, let's see. Okay, uh, let's see. 7.30 I begin to speak. 7.45? 7.45 to 8.45. Okay. All right, let's say 9 o'clock. Wait, wait, where's my wife? I got to check with her now because... You know, you are like, oh, Pastor Myers. And I go back to the room and it was just like, hmm, Pastor Myers. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, nine o'clock. And if you see my wife, just be real nice to her, okay? <laughs> just say, yo, you're just so wonderful. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Just thank her. Okay. Nine o'clock, if I, if I still have a voice after this message. Where did I leave off? 
Page two. All right. I'll just pick up on page two, wherever that is. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the spirit of prophecy. And Lord, we just ask that as we um, close the study, may these things be upon our minds, Lord. If we are not convinced um, or convicted, Lord, I just pray. Thank you, Lord, that you love us anyway, Lord. Um, And you bring us into greater knowledge and greater truth as, as we grow and progress, Lord. Uh, Just help us, Lord, to have our our minds open to whatever you would have to say. And uh, we thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.